Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I would love for you to help us spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, we want to welcome over 60 plus countries currently listening to the podcast at this time. Well, my guest today is Mark Reifenrath. As one of the original founders and current CEO of Spinutech, he understands firsthand how critical a company's culture is. Not only achieving that culture, but maintaining that culture. It matters for success. Mark has seen Spinutech grow from a college startup all the way up to a full premier digital agency that's full service, which is phenomenal. And he will be the first to tell you that uh, he would not be where he is today with his team. And that's one of the things we are going to lean in today on just a little bit. So welcome to the podcast, Mark. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your team because one of the things that I have learned is that you for 10 years went in your business with zero turnover. And that I think speaks highly to company culture. But I think myself and others are wondering, how in the world did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) I sometimes ask myself that same question. So I think it's important to note the size we were at too. So from 2000, we started with three of us, the three original founders, to 2010, we were maybe 13 people. So relatively small, which, and I think that's important because you're in the trenches with everybody every single day. And, and right. as a startup, there's this camaraderie of like, we're an underdog. How are we going to win? And when you win together, it just feels great. And it's a family atmosphere, which is a kind of a dangerous word in business. But <laughs> we really had just a tight bond of kind of starting this succeeding. And so that's kind of a funny story how we lost our first one too. Ryan, he had a girlfriend in Minneapolis. We're in Iowa and he chased her up there. They go on to get married, have kids. So it's a great story, but also a really good reason to leave. So I, and I would also. It doesn't feel fair. You're kind of like, do I have to count that one? Do I have to count him? But that's, that's phenomenal. What, tell me a little bit, because you know I've been a part of a few startups, and there is this just camaraderie that exists in startups. What would you say early on were some of the things that were critical to just keeping everyone together as a team? We worked in a small office, so tight, tight space was part of it. And I think just being transparent, like we didn't keep a whole lot of secrets as leaders at, at the time. We were very transparent about here's what's working, here's what isn't working. And when you win something, it's really fun. But when you lose something, it's also felt by everybody. And I think losing together is very important for building some of those things. That's a almost an easier thing to bond on in those, at least from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. And really, you got to be honest with yourself in those moments. And that's also where I think the deep roots of your culture come out too, is how do you handle adversity, good and bad? Yeah, that's powerful. I mean, I think something we is starting to be talked about more in business, but I don't think it's talked enough about is failure. And part of what I hear you saying and kind of the thematic goal across all of that was that you had people who felt like owners. They didn't feel like renters of the organization. You guys would celebrate wins together, but you also mourned kind of the losses together. And I think that's important. You know, oftentimes as leaders, I hear this phrase a lot, hey, I'm here to absorb pressure for the organization. I think that's great. But sometimes letting the rest of the team feel that failure or feel that pressure actually helps them want to figure out a solution or it bonds them together to figure out 
how to overcome that obstacle the next time. Yeah. We actually still have our first four team members, which is also kind of crazy, 22 wow. years deep. But I would, so if you fast forward to today, one of our core values is we own it. And part of that is we win together, we lose together. And so fail, first attempt in learning. And you just got to capitalize on every learning opportunity, whether it came from a great situation or a bad situation. I'm a big sports analogy guy. So we got to watch the game tape, good and bad. Mm -hmm. And you learn from it and progress as a leader, as a team member, whatever stage you're at, whatever position you have, I think there's always learning opportunities. Wow. I want to kind of stay on this topic of failure for a second, because I feel like this is the area where if leaders can learn this, if innovators can learn how to journey through failure, it actually creates such a momentum in your own personal career, even though it's not always pretty to fail and it's not fun. Mm. There's something really powerful about failure. My kids take Krav Maga and one of the first things they teach them how to do is fall down and then get back up gracefully. And I think in business, we do people a disservice when we don't show them how to fail and fall gracefully, but then to get back up and, and keep, you know, to stay in the fight. Totally. And I think as a leader, yeah, not having the ego to try to stifle failureship or failing in a sense of my ego can't accept that as opposed to as a leader being very vulnerable and saying, hey, gang, I failed here. So when you win together, you lose as a leader. But I think how you handle that is very important. And just recognizing like, so I always say when we lose something or we fail, hey, what can we learn from this? How do we ensure it doesn't happen again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's be very open and honest. And, and I, I would say as a leader, it's also important to give permission for that feedback. So I've done that with my team saying, hey, you got anything, any feedback, good or bad? you got to give it to me. I'm giving you permission. Like you're not going to hurt, hurt my feelings. My shell is off. My guard is down. And we all have to have that level of, of trust and transparency. That's so good. So let's talk a little bit about attracting and retaining talent. I know this is, especially right now, we're in a war for talent, right? With everything that's going on in the economy. And it's just really hard to find great talent, especially when you start maybe getting into some of the technical fields. But there, I'm sure there are some principles that you have learned over the years in hiring and, you know, interviewing and just locating mm-hmm. really phenomenal talent. What would you say some of the grounding principles for Spinutech was, especially, you know, in its early days and, and even how it's evolved now? Yeah, I would say our hiring philosophy and principles, it's really around, first, it's, it's culture first. And we've learned that over time and gotten really, really defiant with that. It, it has to be a culture fit. If it's not, then we're done. Then it's skill set. A lot of skill set you can teach. Culture, yeah. you can't. Like, that's a harder mm-hmm. thing to make somebody be like, it's a personality trait sometimes. And, and that's not that they're a bad person. It's just that they're not going to be the best fit to be successful here. And we know if we try to jam that in, they're not going to succeed. Our culture will reject you very quickly. And that sounds so harsh, but it's actually a really positive thing. We would rather somebody that's not a good fit get out as quickly as possible if we mess up through the hiring process. So no ego, cultural fit. And then it's, you know, are you a life learner? Are you aligned with our core values? And really sticking to those core things. We do have, it's kind of an intense process. It's long. It can be a little frustrating for the candidate. But we know that we are hiring a consistent type of individual that fits who we are. And we know the types of individuals that are going to succeed here. So we want that for them and for us. And that's not for everybody. And I think owning that is super important as opposed to, especially in these hard times, adapting and settling, putting a butt in a seat. That's a future problem that you just made today. 
and you don't know when that bomb is going to go off. Well, you know, as I hear you talking about your hiring process, I kind of think of it like an organ transplant, right? There are times when a body rejects the organ, right? That it's that we're trying to transplant into it. And that can be the same way with culture. And that's actually the body's way of saying, hey, this is not a good fit. And so I think that it's actually interesting to hear you say it that way. It just immediately reminded me of yeah. almost like, you know, this transplant surgery of being like, hey, that's not a good, that's not going to be a good organ fit for the body, right? For the people yeah. we have here. I love that um, analogy. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So I want to know a little bit more about this kind of thing that you you talk about, which is the first hundred days. You talk about them being kind of the most critical point of when an employee starts an organization. What is it about the first hundred days that kind of shape not only the, the organization's experience, but the employee's experience? Yeah. We really view that first 100 days as the most critical part of their journey as a team member at Spinu Tech. And it's not just about the skill sets. It's about how quickly can we get the DNA of who we are injected into them? And so it's our core values, our culture. It's surveying them and pulsing them on how they're adapting and, and what are their pain points? What can we do better? It's a two-way street, though. It, it takes the company, Spinu Tech, leaning in heavily. But it also takes, especially in this kind of remote, we're pretty much remote. We're like 99% hybrid, but remote. They've got to lean in, whether they're in Tennessee or LA or New York or wherever, because we're not having those casual collisions. So I think we were fortunate we had this really buttoned up process before COVID. And probably it's gotten stronger even through the pandemic and in this more remote environment. But that 100 days, it's really about getting you building bonds, getting aligned with our culture and core values. And I always say, the sooner you become a defender, our core values and our culture, you, you're there. I do a six-month touch base with all new team members. And this is just last week. This was just an awesome statement. And I was asking, you know, come on, guys, give me feedback. What, what can we do better? What are you feeling? Any you know, concerns? And this one guy goes, you know, you talked about work-life balance and all these good things. And the culture is great. And in the back of my mind, I was like, is it really that good? Is it really that good? And I'm sitting there laughing, like, of course it is. And he's like, but, you know, all of us are asking those questions. And it hit me full circle. I was doing a one-on-one -on -one with a new team member. And I was saying all the things that were said to me in the process. And I, it clicked with me, like, oh, my gosh. I'm saying how great work-life balance is, how great this is, and how great that is. So he's like, it was this amazing full circle moment for me where I realized, okay, I do truly believe in all this. And so I actually shared that in the all-team meeting after he'd shared that with me. I asked his permission, and I thought it was a beautiful way to kind of illustrate that full circle and, and really getting that injected into him. There's something powerful about the transference of values and culture. As a founder, I know that that you're all in and you believe it. It's really cool when you can see other members of the team being all in and believing it too. I mean, that that is the transfer, right, that we hope for with culture. I want to talk a little bit about your business. I would love to know kind of, you, you started out as a college startup, so I would love to know what were you guys offering in college and how has it evolved over time? So when we started in 2000, we were just doing web design and development. We built our own content management system, which allows you to update your site, which in 2000 was kind of crazy. We had to really explain that and do a demo and show people. But that was our differentiating factor. It was the one thing we had to kind of hang our hats on. We didn't have experience. We didn't have, you know, a Rolodex of clients. But we joined the chamber and we got some clients and kind of slowly grew. And so you fast forward over the course of 22 years, 
we're no longer just a web dev shop. We do full service digital marketing. And, and I would say within that, we're really, really good at lead generation. So we've got some great clients that most people in the U.S. would know. And we produce great a great volume of leads and exceed goals for them. But it's everything from paid search, social media, data and analytics, conversion rate optimization, pretty much anything that's going to drive traffic to your site and convert. So it's a big change from where we started to where we're at today. That's really cool. Well, and I wonder too, you kind of talked a little bit about, you know, employees first hundred days and, and selecting the right employees for the culture. Do you find that that's true on the client side as well? Like that you have to choose a client that fits kind of the culture of your organization as well? hundred percent. So we, it's a two-way interview, whether it's an RFP or a pitch, we make it pretty well known that this is a two-way interview, that it has to be, there has to be cultural alignment. Our core values have to be similar just our, the way that we work, it's got to match up to have a true partnership to attain great results. It's got to be matched up there. If it's not, it's just not going to work. And we actually, this isn't fun to do, but we have and are not afraid to fire a client that becomes misaligned. And that's a yeah. great opportunity to prove to the team that as a leader, we're not just saying things, but we're actually backing it up with our actions. And it's not just about the dollar. So we've got several great stories and they've been tough, but it's hard to send $20,000 a month out the door, but you have to defend your own culture and core values by doing that. Yeah. That, I mean, to me, that shows the employees, the alignment that you have with your culture. It takes what you say on paper or what we would historically say right on the wall and it backs it up. And so I think that's such a powerful thing. When you're looking at a client, what are like two, three things in a client that you're looking for. And then I'd also love to know how does that parallel or not on the employee side? Yeah. So I think a good partner client is going to be engaged. They're going to have a decent digital prowess or, or acumen, not like a 10 out of 10, but maybe up to a seven, because if that's too high, they're going to not really need us. And so, but that true partnership, they've got to lean in and they've got to be transparent. We've got to be transparent. And so it's just figuring some of those things out, but they're hiding things from us or not hiding pieces of their business from us. It's just not going to work. It, our team is going to do really well when we, everybody's leaning all in. And we always say, it's our job to give you our professional opinion twice. If you disagree with it twice, we'll, we'll drop it. But that's what they're paying us for. And when both teams are really sparring with that and not getting heated, but you know, a healthy debate about what is a good idea and isn't. I love that. That's great. We're pushing each other to get better. And so those are a couple of just simple things. And I would say on the team member side as well, it's how are you going to be with, you know, one of our core values is we over me. Are you a team player? Are you caring and willing to step in at any point in time for anybody? Job descriptions are not restrictions. So we never have this attitude that, well, that's not my job. Anything anybody should be able to jump in. It's not that they would have the skill, but if somebody says, you know, next person in, you got to be ready to jump in and not be, you know, ego in the way or, well, that's not my job. So that team player is a big part of that. That is very powerful. I think that I almost think of that book, Extreme Ownership, right? Like you're creating extreme ownership in the organization where people feel that whenever something happens, I have your back. And then if and vice versa, if something's going on in my area, you have my back. And it's that, 
mutual trust, right? That you yeah. always hope for and want to build an organization and spelling it out plainly sometimes is what we have to do or need to do in order to make it make help people understand that it, this matters to us. This is something that is critical, yeah. crucial, really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And our, our Slack channel has, it's matched up to our core values. So when there's a shout out, it's going to say, so-and-so did a great job of illustrating we over me by doing XYZ with client XYZ. And that's a great way to just have it on a daily basis kind of repeated. I love this. So help me understand, how did you begin to understand the importance of these values yourself? I mean, obviously you got started pretty pretty young. Most people, you know, kind of work around, right? And they kind of build their core values out of the sense of like, ooh, I was there. And so I want to build a a value opposite to that. Or I went to this company, loved it. And I get like some core values as a result Mm -hmm. of that. Like when you're so young, building an organization, like where do you find some of these core values? Where did you pull on these from? We really didn't formalize our core values for quite a while. Probably like 2008 to 2010 is when they started to maybe become a little bit formalized. So it's maybe more of they were always there, but we didn't formalize it. But it it was really a reflection of who we were as individuals and just kind of how we lived life. And then it over time became, let's formalize it. Let's write it down. Let's make sure we're really promoting that. And it's part of onboarding and it's part of our daily. It's the essence of how we attack each day. That has just been a slow, you know, fire that's built over time, probably every year gotten a little brighter, a little stronger. And now there's a lot of pride and defenses of we have to maintain this. And that at some point left my responsibilities and became the team's, which is a cool transition because, and I always tell them, you guys control this stuff. I can sit here and say all these great things, but at the end of the day, you have to live it. You have to defend it. And if you're not all in on that, I can't force that. You know, it's got to be everybody all in on it. I love that. And it's just cool to hear that, hey, they didn't emerge overnight. We kind of lived them out. And then eventually we begin to document what we were already living. I think that's a really (laughs) cool way for values to emerge. Talk to me a little bit about if you were to kind of put yourself in the mind of a, a futurist. Where do you see kind of some of the work that you guys do going? I see that you guys are, like you said, 99% remote. So that's already kind of a a key piece. And I would love to lean into the remote piece a little bit because obviously that's a fun and big topic. It was before 2020, but then it really took it up a notch, right? With COVID and everything like that. So talk to me a little bit about kind of where you see your industry going, but also how does the, the remote side of things play in? How does that help you guys? Where does it maybe hinder? Yeah, I think they're very related. So for us, we used to hire the best person for the job in the market we had in office. That was the caveat. Today, it's the best person for the job, no matter where you're at in the US. So we've been able to get so many amazing, talented humans. It's just, it's been so fun to watch our team expand and just get leveled up and leveled up. And every new person, it's exciting to see them get integrated to the team and share their stories and backgrounds. And and that's just so fun. So that I think is an advantage. Not all agencies are doing that. So we're trying to take that and run with that as much as we can. The future, our world changes daily, weekly, monthly. I mean, it just, it's rapidly like dog years isn't fast enough. It's got to be faster than that. We always say internet years. I would say there's more AI, machine learning, automation, and a lot of stuff. At the end of the day, I think what we have to be really good at is the strategic thinking. What's the strategy 
a lot of the jobs that we probably employ today will become automated on some level, but it's going to take a good solid strategy to make it successful. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to bleed out your money really quickly if you want them to. But if you have a human that's really strategic guiding and kind of making them all work together, that's where the magic will happen. So it's no different. You know, when Henry Ford built the line, you know, the production line, that was scary. And then robots came in and took that away. But at the end of the day, you still needed really, really good engineering. Yeah. So that's where we're evolving to is we're going to need that engineering or the strategy to be what is our core focus across all of our different current tactics. I love that. You're kind of doubling down on the knowledge worker, the person that can be that strategist at the table and really take all the data. It's not enough just to receive all the data, right? Somebody has to analyze it and tell you how to function, how to operate as a result of what what they're seeing. That's so powerful. 100%. I love that. Where where can people find you? Where can people follow you? Yeah. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can go to LinkedIn and then do Mark, M-A-R-C, Reifenrath, R-E-I-F-E-N-R-A-T-H. And then spinutech.com, S-P-I-N-U-T-E-C-H.com. And we've got lots of great content on there. I talk a lot about the stuff we're talking about and then digital marketing, of course, but feel free to reach out, connect, and um, try to post a lot of great content on there about it as well. I love it. What final thoughts would you have for our listeners today, Mark? Yeah. I mean, if you're worried about culture, core values, the first 100 days, I think as a leader, you're probably not investing enough time in it. If you ask yourself, am I or aren't I? You're definitely not. So it's a very, very strong piece that a leader should invest in because the returns on it of retention and growth, it's going to impact your bottom line, which most leaders care about. It's just an alternative thinking of a way to do it. So invest in that more would be my piece of advice. I love that. That's so powerful. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking about all the ways that I need to focus more on that. <laughs> so, amazing. Well, thank you for your time today, Mark. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. It was fun. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership and visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources.